what's up what's up what's up y'all it's your girl precious the mindset mistress i'm back i was gone for a minute y'all but i'm back and today i have a special guest on my podcast um i'm going to let her introduce herself because she is a boss i am her number one fan go ahead guest go ahead and introduce yourself queen hey hello everybody my name is terry crawford Some of you may know me, some of you may not. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am currently a professor at the University of Nebraska at Omaha in the Department of Black Studies, Criminal Law and Criminology, and also Political Science. I am also an advocate in the community. I am the Policy Director for the League of Women Voters for Greater Omaha. I am also the president of my sorority. Shout out to Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Omaha alumni chapter. I also wear many, many hats in the community. I'd like to just tell people that I am always an advocate. I consider myself to be a blacktivist and also the voice for the marginalized within the community. So those are some of my credentials, and I'm very glad to be here today. Thank you. Yes, come on, Queen. Y'all know I'm extra. First of all, let's run it back to your intro real quick. Can you touch basis on that word that you just used, blacktivist? Can you go ahead and give us, for those of y'all who don't know what the definition of a blacktivist is, because I do have people of Caucasian descent that listen to these podcasts. So can you explain to us what is a blacktivist? Absolutely. Thank you so much for that question. So there are activists that are usually involved in communities, social justice, racial justice, economic justice, and other issues. A lot of times we have a tendency to lump together individuals. For instance, the term people of color bothers me because I am not a person of color. I am a black woman. Yes. So people of color says to me that we don't recognize that there are some unique characteristics to the atrocities that have happened to black people. Absolutely. So when I say I am a blacktivist, that says to anyone who is within the sound of my voice that I advocate on behalf of black people first. Period. And if others then come into the fold as allies and those that want to be part of the movement, then they are welcome. But I'm black first because whenever I walk into the room, that's what they see is a black woman. So blacktivist means being true to who you are, not just as a black woman, but as a black person. Yes. And making sure that it's first and foremost on that list of those that you check off when you are speaking on behalf of those that have been historically marginalized. Yes, I see she up here speaking queenology. Y'all better listen. You might learn something. You feel me? Okay. Now, y'all heard what she said. Y'all heard all of her credentials. I'm going to let y'all in on something. I was going to save this for the end of the podcast, but I need to let y'all know that this wonderful, amazing queen, this is my aunt. This is my mother's sister. Okay? Same mama, same all that. We bloodline, okay? Yes, we are. This is my real auntie, okay? And I had the privilege of working with her in the past. Um, She has always treated me like a daughter because, you know, she has all boys, and I was, like, the only girl around her. I wasn't the only niece, but I was the one around at the time. So we've always had a very close bond. 
um, I love all the women in my family, but she has always been acknowledging anybody when, when nobody will take shade to this. She's always been recognized as the brain in the family. Everybody knows that. And I love to pick her brain and have deep conversations with her. So I asked her to come on the show today because her testimony is incredible. But today the topic of discussion will be um, the process of healing, um, especially with the black woman. Um as everyone knows, you Caucasians and Karens as well, the black woman is the most disrespected human being on the planet. Okay, we don't get Absolutely. credit for raising this country, literally. Okay, literally, titties were sucked on and baby milk was uh, withdrawn from white babies. Do you understand what the fuck I'm saying? Okay, so I asked her to come on here and talk about the process of things that she has been through in her life to come from the gutter, because my family do come from the gutter, and to be able to accomplish all of the amazing things that she has accomplished academically, um, things that she had to overcome emotionally, um, the, 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 the programming of her mindset as a child and I can speak on this because I come from the same bloodline she comes from and there is a lot of damage and brokenness there so I would really love to hear um, the process of her um, telling her story of healing so I'm going to let her introduce um, her example of what she had to go through, um, the 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 um, the tragedy that she went through in the process of her healing, because only she can break it down, because this is her soul we're talking about. So, go yes. ahead, Auntie. She won't. I can't call her sis, y'all. That's my Auntie. Yes. Go ahead, Auntie. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And you said a lot of things in your introduction that I think we need to unpack before we get to uh, the trauma and the. Uh, dealing with uh, the grief and the healing process of a black woman. First and foremost, I want to say thank you for raising that issue because uh, we as black women normally buy into uh, the superwoman syndrome. Absolutely. So we are constantly uh, placed in a position where we are the caregivers for our families for our communities and a lot of times we become the example or uh, the token if you will on the job because people expect us to speak on behalf of who we are and I hate to use the term race because we all know that that's a a social construct Mm -hmm. but that's the system under which we live so although it is a social construct we know in some people's minds That is a reality for them. So we have to work within that system that has been imposed. I said all that to say that uh, you said something about coming from the gutter. So for those that are uh, not of like mindset, I think we need to unpack that. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what that means. I tell people whenever I am a presenter or facilitator, I'm asked to talk about myself is that I come from the bricks. Period. I absolutely come from the bricks. And for my Caucasian friends that don't understand what that means. <laughs> Break it down. That just means from the projects. Hello. The projects are concrete and made of bricks. Mm-hmm. So across communities in this nation, 
that is where we were relegated as a people. We can talk about redlining and all of those things that created uh, poverty and pockets of uh, slums mm-hmm. and ghettos and all of that and how that was created with the assistance of our government. But Absolutely. this is not that podcast today. That's for another day. And we're going to get to have that. that conversation. Absolutely. So I said all of that to say I am not unlike um, many other people who I admire, that I look up to, and that I call my soros and my sisters, that came from the bricks, some of us, not all of us, um, when we operated in a system where we were operating against the odds. Mm-hmm. Because the odds were you will become a statistic, you will not finish high school, you are not good enough to go to college. Because that's the message that they gave us over and over again. And not just in the educational system, but some of those messages, and this is not to offend anybody, but some of those messages we got from our own family. Absolutely. We got from our own community. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Y'all here, listen to what she's saying now, because you know this all ties into mindset. Y'all know that's what I preach. Keep going. So it was about uh, overcoming the odds. But in order to do that, you do have to be of a certain mindset. Absolutely. Even as a very young child, Mm -hmm. because children are like sponges. Absolutely. They pick up on their environment and, you know, what they're watching on television. We talked about what you put into your body, what you eat, what you read, and what you watch, how it all becomes part of your makeup and your DNA. Absolutely. children watch their environment and how different interactions are taking place within the family, Mm -hmm. within the community, how people respond in certain circumstances, how we don't talk about certain things in black communities and how we sweep things under the rug. Oh, you better preach. Come on. Do y'all hear what the fuck she said? That is a community thing. It is a community thing. Okay, and listen, y'all, me and my aunt, y'all know our personalities is like night and day, as y'all can see. So, y'all know, I am, she, she, y'all can't see her, but I can see her, and she's looking at me like, girl, what the hell? But y'all know my personality on this podcast, because what she's saying, the shit so real, it's so raw, it's incredible. So, we get into healing, but everything that she's saying is building up to that. Her mindset being built as a child. Yes. In school, what they teach you, they don't teach you mindset, they don't teach you worth, they don't teach you healing, they don't teach you how to respond versus react. Absolutely. And so, so one of the things then, um, uh, in the recesses of my mind, I try to recall things that help make me the woman that I am today. Mm-hmm. And one of the conversations that I have regularly is, I remember in one of my grade schools, because we went to many, one of my grade schools... I remember every single teacher that I ever had being a white teacher. Really? By the time I got to sixth grade, I remember this beautiful black regal woman that had come to our school and she became the principal. Really? I didn't know at that time that this woman would later become my sorority. Really? I would say she wouldn't become mine, but I became hers because when she came to Omaha already, she was a Delta. That woman's name is Catherine Fletcher. Rest her soul, Sora Fletcher. But that was the first time I seen representation in my school building. Really? Of someone that was black and regal and she was tall and she was very uh, 
well spoken and again I don't like that term but I'll use it for now right. to help uh, describe how I felt about this woman that was the first time I saw someone else in the building that looked like me and it gave me the possibility of what was available to me but can you remember in that moment as a child how did you feel when you I saw do. her I do and I remember feeling my stature changed physically I remember really? walking more upright you leveled up I leveled up I remember feeling proud and did it give you a sense of worthiness it, absolutely it changed my work really because everyone else in the building at that time like I said were all white and predominantly female wow and wow. there was nothing I remember the Dick and Jane series I'm gonna go to Dick and Jane series when they taught you to read in school and and generally we we read before we get to school. I'm, I'm, this is all going to be connected. No, so just, get, no, just ride with no, me. No, I'm riding with you. I'm riding with you. So there's a series for those that are uh, boomers. There's a series of books that they use in the school to teach children to read from kindergarten, probably through third or fourth grade, and it was called the Dick and Jane series. Dick and I James remember James. reading those books. See Dick Jane. See. Dick Run. Oh, Run Dick Run. Okay. See, Jane Run with Spot. They had a mom and dad, and I don't remember their names, but I do remember as a child reading those books and thinking, nobody in here looks like me. I remember that in kindergarten. Like, Jane doesn't look like me. Jane had blue hair. I'm, I'm sorry, blue eyes and blonde hair. And I even remember processing that as a child that there is nothing in this book that is representative of me, although I didn't have that terminology at that time. Right. But that's how it felt. I remember feeling less than. Wow. As they wow. taught you to read everything. Uh, I remember learning about Ponce de Leon at a very young age in Christopher Columbus. In fact, we did kind of like a little play. Mm -hmm. This was third or fourth grade. But I still remember in my mind, even processing as a child, there is nothing black about what I'm learning. I processed that. that I I felt as a child. Absolutely. So that's just to say to your audience who's listening this, because I think we know this as a community that when representative representation is lacking then that's detrimental to the psyche of our kids absolutely because it says to you that you are absent in the narrative absolutely but don't you feel like and i may be getting off the path but we'll come back to it don't you feel like that's intentional as far as the school system is concerned and i feel like it's unintentional unintentionally intentional in the black community i think it's a mindset that now we're now now these days we're starting a lot of people have been enlightened and, and, and have been turned on to some things but back when you were a child mm-hmm. do you think that parents knew that they were uh growing weeds in their child's garden their mindset um i i'd like to think that parents were unaware of the effect that it was having on the kids and i talked about the super woman syndrome for black females and in the community that I grew up in many of the households were headed by females 
So those females that were walking around with that S on their chest every day were busy surviving. So while they were taking care of the kids and working a job, uh, sometimes that may have been bartending at night. It may have been what we call day work Mm -hmm. when they were working in the houses of Caucasians, cleaning Mm -hmm. up their houses, ironing their clothes and cooking their meals. Whatever they had to do, that's what they did to assure that the kids would have a roof over their head and food to eat. So while we're running around with that S on the chest, and again, we are transferring these, um, we'll call it energy. Mm -hmm. We're transferring that energy to our children, but particularly to our daughters. Right. 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 And it could even get deeper. Because do you feel like, do you, with me, I, you know, I am 40. Well, I will be 40 in a couple of months, okay? I have five daughters, as you know. Mm-hmm. For me, it, it you can start to build because you have to have that S on your chest all the time, right? So the, the, the topic of discussion is healing. When you're trying to heal and when you're trying to provide and do all that, do you think it can build a, a sort of resentment not only towards the man who's supposed to be there that ain't but the adults in your life that raised, that you know didn't raise you the way everything that's in your mindset came from them absolutely you said something very important that it builds a certain resentment but you really can't even get to the resentment until you start to get into a healing process okay and let me get to alicia because you know i know you are uh a musicologist and uh (laughs) i was a music musicologist in my younger days but still am yes but i always relate my life to music yes it really paints the background of who we are and sets the soundtrack to our life yes that was not scripted y'all she said that off the top of the dome okay she is not reading from a script that was some good shit wasn't it no script at all come on sis so when I think about who we are as black women I go to Alicia when she said even though I'm a mess I still put on my vest with an S on my chest oh yes I'm a super woman yes so we wear it with pride but it's exhausting oh Exhausting. And even to get to our healing as black women, and my story in particular, those who know me know that I lost a child. And he was 17 when I lost him. He died from a very serious asthma attack. He had chronic asthma. So I really didn't have a chance to heal from other things in my life. Until after he died, because there is something known as trapped trauma. Trapped trauma. Trapped trauma. Before you go forward with your story, can you elaborate on trapped trauma? What's the definition of trapped trauma? Trapped trauma is when you are traumatized by particular events or occurrences in your life, and you don't address it because sometimes... We're either too young to address it and you don't have the tools Mm -hmm. to address what happened to you or even process it, so you stuff it. It remains there for many years and then something else happens. It's stuffed on top of that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you experience something like a death. 
of a child or someone who's close to you. And that trauma is stuffed on top of those other layers that now exist. So it's trapped in you. And when that trauma is trapped in you, then it's going to manifest itself in some way in your life until you deal with it. Right. So when the trauma is trapped in your body, you really experience the physical manifestations of it until you have an opportunity to deal with it. So it really just means that the trauma is trapped in your body, and that sometimes means trapped in your mind. Exactly. That's exactly what it is because everything starts with the mindset. Absolutely. Everything starts with the mindset. So that being said, everything that you're saying before... You know, before, you know, this tragedy with your son, you, you've been through all kind of shit. So you had not learned or started the healing process for those things. That's where we stopped at. That's absolutely true. So uh, what I learned through therapy and no, there is nothing wrong with therapy. We as black people try to uh, sidestep and dance around whether or not we need therapeutic yes, intervention. I'm here to tell you we do. Yes, ma'am. A lot of times when you are of a particular generation, we always say take it to the Lord, and you should. Absolutely. But after you do that, then there are two things that is expected of you if you believe in a higher power. That is pray and then get up and do the work. And part of the work is going to be getting into therapy to help deal with your trauma, help untrap that trauma from your psyche and your physicality Mm -hmm. so that you can live a fuller life. So what do you suggest that you do to people who are listening who don't know where to start with the healing process because let me tell y'all something y'all know I got the gang of damn kids I've never lost a child so that is a trauma and a healing process that I've never experienced you know what I'm saying but there are mothers out there and fathers out there who've never experienced that type of pain that that has to be an extreme pain to heal from in an everyday for the rest of your life type of healing process in, in my opinion So what do you suggest? Because that's some advice that I can't give. I give advice every single day. And that's why I invited her on here because I get a lot of people with this type of trauma and type of uh, healing that y'all know I'm going to be real at the end of the day. This is something I can talk with you about, converse with you about, be empathetic and sympathetic. But it is something I haven't experienced. She has. She's an incredibly strong woman on the outside looking in but I want to get all the way in in this moment okay okay so what I want to ask you is this when did you know that you need you had to heal okay or or shit was gonna be not good Mm -hmm. When, when when did you feel like your body your soul when did you know it was just exhausted and you just had to start some type of healing process or you know you know, the woman before me would not be sitting right where you are today. Absolutely true. So for me, and I can only speak to my own personal lived experience, and hopefully that will help someone else. For me, uh, there are stages to grief, and, and one of them is denial. And I know for me, for a very long time after my son died, I was numb. 
So although I was operating and doing things, I was operating in numbness. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was really living my life. I was, you know, going through the motions. Mm -hmm. I still had two younger sons. You know, at that time I had a bunk ass husband (laughs) and I was in school. I was working a job and I remember shutting down for like 30 days. 30 days? For the side. 30 days. And about 20 of those days I remained in the bed. I would get up in the morning because I wanted to make sure that I was trying to normalize things for my other two kids. Mm-hmm. But what, what I didn't realize is that I was adding to their trauma by how so wanting to normalize. Because what I would do is get up in the morning, you know, get them dressed, take them to school, fix them breakfast, you know, the same thing that we always did before DeAndre died. But I never talked to them, particularly, uh, I'll call him Michael, because when I call him Michael Ray, he's a grown man now, so I'll just call him Mike, okay? (laughs) He was seven, about to turn eight, I believe, when DeAndre died. We never had a discussion as to... How does this make you feel? And I know you lost your brother. And I know you're in pain. Because death is hard to explain to kids. Okay, okay, okay. So stop you right there. Okay, stop the story right there. So when DeAndre passed in... So for those of y'all that don't know, her son she's talking about, Mike, is my cousin. Me and him are the same age. Okay. So why do you think you didn't have that conversation with him? Why do you think that is? I didn't have that conversation with him because I was still in that numbness. Mm -hmm. So my psyche was not ready to accept that my child had died. Okay. Mm -hmm. Although I knew it to be true and it was my reality. Let me back up. Well, you said it was stages though. So you said denial was what the first stage. Denial. But I remember... Vividly having, okay, I, I said at the beginning of this, for those who don't know me and didn't know my son, that he was a severe asthmatic and he had a um, nebulizer machine at home. His room was down in the basement and ours was upstairs. And I can remember many nights hearing him get up in the middle of the night and use that nebulizer to help him breathe. Mm-hmm. After he died, I had a very vivid dream of hearing that nebulizer. And it was so vivid. In fact, it wasn't even a dream because I was awake. I was going to ask you, are you sure it was a dream? It was not a dream. I was awake. I was sitting in my bed in the dark, you know, just trying to pull myself together. And I heard the nebulizer. So I get up and go downstairs to the bedroom because I thought okay God thank you so much now I'm waking up from this nightmare that I've been having that my son died so when I heard the nebulizer thank you Lord I know that's right when I heard that nebulizer I immediately get up and run downstairs because I'm like okay he's back he's back now but those were the kind of things that let me know there's some trauma you need to release because you're not dealing with this well So, 
after that, and there were other instances. I remember driving. I was completing my undergrad then at College of St. Mary's, and I remember driving to campus, mm-hmm. and I saw what I believed to be him walking. And everybody knows DeAndre knows that he walked with that kind of sideways walk that he had. Yeah. I literally started shaking, and I had to pull over. And I, I don't know if I verbalized it or I said it in my head, but I remember hearing, there he is. I don't know if I verbalized that or not. There he is. And I pulled over. I actually pulled over to the side of the road as I'm shaking, thinking again, he's back. So I had a couple of, more than a couple, more than I can count really, of those types of incidents. So you think those, how you perceive those events, You okay, so you've never done a podcast with me, so, you know, be prepared to, to get deep. You know what I'm saying? This is what happens when I do podcasts with people because I'm such a deep motherfucker. So you feel like these events are because you were not dealing with your trauma well because I'm a spiritual person. In my, for my perception, even though I, I didn't, you know, I was a baby too. I was a kid, 19 years old when this happened, okay? As a 40-year-old woman sitting here with 39, I feel like you did see him. Your soul did say, there he is. You heard his machine downstairs because he was there. And when you saw him, you saw him because he was there. That's just my perception of it. I feel like... That's how I feel. Like, I really don't need to elaborate on it. I don't. It, this is just my opinion. But you healing the way that you healing. So I'm not trying to change your healing process. But I don't think it's because you weren't dealing with your trauma. Well, I think it was because you really saw him. You saw him. And he was there. He was with you. I explored that possibility as well. And uh, the conclusion that I came to is that there were, in my mind, so many things that I felt were left unsaid between he and I. Mm -hmm. And I never, in some ways I felt like uh, I need one more opportunity to have those conversations with him. Right. And when those things happened for me, I felt as though in my physical realm Mm -hmm. that you're not dealing well with your grief. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right in my spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. I felt like uh, I was being guided by my creator mm-hmm. to show me that, because I was worried, is he okay? Right. Uh, I knew that not being able to catch your breath is a horrible way to die mm-hmm. because you feel as though... Um, your lungs are collapsing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that feels like. So I can only imagine what it feels like. So I don't know if it was years or if it was months, but I do know I continue to have those dreams. And the one dream that I had about him, and um, I'll just tell you what happened and then uh, how I learned that this was truly my creator reaching out to me is, I remember when he died in retrospect because I was I only remember 
you know, going to the funeral home, picking out a casket, you know, taking the clothes down there for him to dress. I don't remember any of that, but I know I did it. Mm -hmm. So I remember being at the funeral. So many people there from OPS because he was involved, you know, a a Mm -hmm. singer, a writer and did plays and all of that. Mm -hmm. So there were so many people at OPS that knew who he was because of his talent and the person that he was. And then other people in the community. So I remember just feeling like I was in a some kind of daze. You know, I remember all these people. I remember crying profusely being there. I remember all these people, you know, fouling by, saying their condolence. I remember all of that in a fog. It was just all a horrible fog. For I can me. imagine. I can imagine. But I, I, as I'm working through this numbness and and you know my trying to keep things in a routine I know I was being more and more distant from the other two kids that I needed to take care of and that came to a head also once at, at my mother's house and we can talk about that too mm-hmm. I remember thinking all the time what I didn't get to do and should I have driven him to the hospital because I drove him rather than calling an ambulance I drove him to the hospital by the time we pulled up to the door, I know that's when he took his last breath. I didn't know it then, but I know now that's when he took his last breath. I ran in and, and was yelling for him to come out and get him because he had stopped breathing. They rushed out and came and got him and took him into the back, and I never saw him alive again. That was a horrible thing for a mom to experience with their child. I can so, only imagine as I, you know, think back in all of this in retrospect, I, you know, they say that when you die that your soul leaves your body because this is just, you know, our, our earthly right. vessels mm-hmm. that we have for here, but your soul leaves your body. I think when that happened for him that I felt it in, in my physical body as well. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know then that that's what I was feeling. Fast forward probably several months. It may have been as long as a year after he died. I remember it coming to me in a dream. Because I would ask God every night, give me a sign to let me know that he's okay. Mm -hmm. Or that I did the right thing. And I remember it coming to me very vividly. Him. And he was in a blue suit with a white shirt. And I remember talking to Lance and those who know me, I I won't get into who he is, but Precious, you know who he is. Mm -hmm. He is the one that offered to supply the suit for DeAndre when he died. Mm -hmm. So again, I remember taking it down there. Michael and I probably took it down there and told him what to put on. What I didn't know at that time, I know it today, but what I didn't know at that time is when they bury you, they bury you without shoes and socks on and I, I never knew that mm-hmm. but when he came to me in this dream he had on this blue suit and it had like a crop jacket cause you know this was in the 90's mm-hmm. the crop jacket blue pants white shirt and it was him and it was his voice and he was standing in in my mind would look like a cloud mm-hmm. and he had on no shoes and no socks 
and he said, Mom, I'm okay. And he turned around slowly and walked away. Wow. When I had that, I'll call it a dream, but it may not have been, I felt a calmness that came over me from that point on that released that trap trauma that I talked about Mm -hmm. that allowed me to start the healing process because I don't think you ever really heal from the death of a child but it allowed me to start the healing process so that I could continue to um, do what I needed to do for my other two sons so So that was easier do you think it was easier for you to start healing after he came to you and let you know because as y'all know I talk about this kind of stuff all the time I believe with every fiber of my being that he came to you I'm a very spiritual person um, I know after he came to you right mm-hmm. after he came to you and said that and let you know he was okay and your creator had, was coming to you and giving you throwing you these signs do you think it was easier for the healing process to to um, for you to put it on cruise control because like you said you never truly heal from your child passing away I can't even imagine I can't even imagine for me it felt like a release of pent up energy it was like you're always wound as tight as it possibly can and at any moment it felt like okay something will burst if I can't release this energy and I didn't know how to release it when I had that particular dream about him, it allowed me to release what I was holding on to. And in some ways, I have to be totally transparent. I felt like I was, in some ways, inadequate as his mom by driving him instead of calling an ambulance. And Do you still feel like that? I, after driving, no I won't say driving after dealing with that driving incident in a therapeutic setting because she allowed me to unpack it okay, so what do you think would have happened if you had not, do you think he'd still be alive, so Mm -hmm. you you walk through all of that therapy so I held on to that for a very long time, I no longer hold on to that, good good for you, but I did for a long time I held on to it, well I don't want to make, I don't want to, I have to say this because I'm me. I like to get deep with things. Were there things or situations or words spoken that made you feel a sense of guilt um, with that? Uh, like, was it just you thinking that? Is it just when, when your baby passes, you just think of all of these things that you could have did different or should have did different? Or was there anything that, like, made you? A, like a, um, you know, the, was there any shade thrown to make you feel that way? Were any, was anything said to you that made you feel like you, like you felt unfulfilled as a mother yeah. when he passed? And of course, you no longer feel like that now because you've been through the healing process. True. But during that time, was that a thing? I, I, yes, I, I would have to say yes to that. And here's here's what I have to say about that. Because this this is a whole nother podcast, but it's about relationships, right? And the lack of uh, nurturing, mm-hmm. the lack of um, 
support uh, the lack of what I would call um, covering mm-hmm. that you require as a child. You don't know as a child that this is a requirement, but it's something that's required in order to raise a uh, confident child. Right. Uh, my recollection of that is that I lack that, although others in the family will give you their opinion of it and say, well, no. But my recollection, which is my reality, is that mm-hmm. I lack that. So all of that came flooding back after DeAndre died of that little girl who had no confidence mm-hmm. and who took everything on as somehow her fault. All of that came back. Um, And and that's also part of that trap trauma that if you don't go back and heal your child, your little girl, then she's going to always be there damaged until you go back and heal her. And y'all, when she say your little girl, she's not talking about like your baby that you carried in your uterus. She's talking about the little girl inside of you. Yourself. Is what she's talking about. Yes. So what I admire about my aunt is that I know most of her story and I know what she's accomplished. And because I've been through so many things in life, it really makes me wonder and want to pick her brain on because like I said, she was, I was, she's my family. So she knows who Ray, who was around me. She's one of the adults that was around me that had a part of my upbringing. So to know her story and, and 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 for and y'all listen she got seven siblings okay my grandma had eight damn kids and i had six <laughs> but to know the mindset and to be able to focus and to be able to accomplish the things that she has is incredibly um of course it's admirable but it's just another word that i can't think of right now it makes me i've always been a very inquisitive kid I've always been a thinker. I've always uh, been very curious about things. So it always made me wonder, even when I used to work for her, I used to be like, how in the hell, like, does she do it? It's like she drowns herself in education and she's always doing something. Well, I'm doing this, Precious, and I'm doing that, and I'm, I'm about to start this, and I'm doing that. It's like she just never stops. She go, 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 go. And she carries herself with this grace in this like like she said she doesn't like the word articulate and I don't and neither I mean it's a word but what we mean by that is when a black woman is articulate and well spoken it's like she is like the white girl or she talk and that's that shit is the most ignorant shit on the planet however she's that woman in our family <laughs> and I love the way that she you wouldn't even know if she looked like what she been through y'all She'd be an ugly mother something, okay? But she's just dope, and she carries that pain well. She carries that healing. It's just like, I don't really know how to explain it, but before we go, 
what do you suggest? Do you suggest journaling? Um, before, because every, you know how our people is. Let's just be real. Mm-hmm. You need to embrace therapy, but everybody's not going to be quick to jump into therapy. And some of us True. can't afford therapy. True. So before they jump into that, what do you suggest? Um, do you watch YouTube videos? I know you love to read if you have some books to suggest. Um, she's a writer herself. Y'all know, like I said, she's a professor at UNO. She is that woman, queenology. What do you suggest some things for people to do to start the healing process? Okay, so... Um, my personal lived experience again is after uh, DeAndre died and um, when I was able to start going through his things because it took me a long time before I could do that but what I found were his writings Mm -hmm. and what I didn't know then um, is that he continued to journal Mm -hmm. over his lifetime so it allowed me to hear his voice in my head of things he was experiencing and what he loved and what he thought about and songs that he wrote all of that wow and i still have those today emotional roller coaster so the the that was the long answer to journaling because you're right, everybody's not just going to jump into therapy. Right. Not everybody wants to share their story with somebody who's a stranger, right. basically. Mm-hmm. Journaling allows you to purge all of that mm-hmm. and put it in writing mm-hmm. and allow you to go back and examine it at a later date right. to see how much growth has occurred, hopefully, in your life. Mm-hmm. So I would start with journaling. And then we can talk about the rest of it on part two of this podcast. Yes, we can. Listen, let me tell y'all something. This is honor. Listen, she is also, uh, well, she did give a shout out to the Delta Sigma Theta sorority. She is a Delta. I'm not a Delta, so I'm not going to get all into that because I don't need them coming to try to jump me because y'all know they thugs out here in these streets. I'm just playing. We are not. <laughs> okay, we are but. College educated women. Speak on it, sis. They thugs. But I love my aunt. She's an incredible woman with the S on her chest. Okay. Y'all heard the credentials. She don't need no intro. We will be doing a part two of this. Healing is something that is essential to your mindset growth. And before we check off, just let me go, say, go ahead. you said it a couple of times, and we do this to each other all the time about the superwoman syndrome and how strong she is and the S on her chest. Uh, I love superheroes, and Superman is one of my main ones, because really? that's what I grew up on, absolutely. That's true, that's true. But I always remind people, and I had to remind myself, that even Superman had kryptonite. Okay. There is something that makes him weak, and that means all of us that are perceived as strong have weak times absolutely and that for me is when i needed to deal with my trauma in a therapeutic setting to deal with my kryptonite exactly and to touch further on your kryptonite as y'all know audience i stay talking about mindset with the kryptonite that is where your mindset comes in you understand what i'm saying your brain your we ain't even going to get heavy into it because you already know I can talk about this for a whole hour, but your mindset over everything in order for her to step into her healing, in order for her to deal with her kryptonite, you have to reprogram your thinking. Yes. 
Okay? Thoughts become things. That's what. Okay? Words are real and powerful. So somewhere on part two, we're going to talk about where she decided she needed to press reset on her mindset because the programming of her mindset somewhere, some something fucked up. I ain't blaming nobody. I love my grandma. I ain't blaming nobody, but we're going to get to that on part two. Okay? And then we're also going to talk about her new podcast that she will be debuting. I'm not going to tell y'all the name of it right now, but she's going to drop that podcast on y'all ass. Y'all not ready for this queenology. She got the credentials. She's a professor. Okay? She got, man, this woman done did so much. She didn't even bring up everything that she's done. I ain't going to put her out there, but... Thank y'all for listening to her. Um, I'm going to also drop this on my Instagram. I'm going to drop, you know, some ways you can get in touch with her. Her email, if you want to continue to reach out to her as a woman who would like some more advice on healing. I don't know if she's going to charge for her services because she is about her coins. But once again, Terry Crawford. Thank you so much for inviting me today. And thank you to the listening audience for helping us engage in this conversation. And we will do more of it. See, y'all told y'all she was the articulate one. Y'all have a good day. It's your girl, the mindset uh, mistress, Yeti.